0: welcome to another conversation this is speaking and i am your host Shuli, and i'm laughing we're already having fun in the studio may is better hearing and speech month and i am very excited about this topic because i am a voice nerd at heart I love communication and what it does for people. And I had to bring on a couple of my speechy friends to help us speak it. Oh, well, should I? I didn't even ask you for permission. Am I calling you Kia
1: or or Dr. Johnson tonight? Kia is totally fine with me. Okay,
0: so Kia and Maurice. And then I have a person who has firsthand experience of voice, and speech and those challenges and what they can do for you. But he has a great story to share. We have Mr. Wayne Curvey. And tonight we're getting ready. He wants to be called Jerry. I'll call you Jerry. We thank you. And we thank (laughs) you for, for serving our country. And again, we have a wild group. So when you come in, go ahead and drop your city. Let us know where you're tuning in from. We have the comments. I'm gonna get those comments up. Somebody said, hey, Shuli, Graham fam representing. I don't know. Make sure you click and log on with us if you're tuning in from a group so that we can see your name and chat with you. We have Ivan Parker. He is one of our friends with Sports Talk with Friends. They support us. He is tuning in from Dallas. We have Paula tuning in from McKinney, Texas. And we have Miss Aquila tuning in from Houston. She also is wonderful. And hello, 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 and hello to you all. We're live now, Mr.
1: Curvey. You're good. I was trying to make myself as
2: big as they are. I look so tiny, like I'm way
1: <laughs> I, feel, I, feel sure. I feel like I needed a taller seat. So I, I feel I know. Like
0: how
3: I feel.
1: <laughs> oh, really? <laughs> that's better, yeah. I've
0: had to adjust. I know, I've had to adjust my seating. <laughs> all right. So we have people in here and we're getting ready to speak it tonight. We'll jump right in with the, <laughs> with the introductions from this wild bunch. I've said their names, but I want them to share their stories. First of all, because I love my hip hop and music and I think I'm cool like that. Yeah. The question of the night is, how did you first fall in love with speech? And you can tell it from your perspective. Who wants to go first? We're going with
1: Kia. She looks ready. That's totally fine. You know, I'm always ready. Always. I, this is interesting. Um, I have always been a talker. I have always liked to talk. I went to college as a biology pre-med major. My mom is a nurse. I grew up in the hospitals. I wanted to be a neonatologist. And freshman year, I discovered that we don't see patients until medical school. And I had a concern with that. Um, so I literally flipped through the catalog and I saw communication disorders and I read the description and I said, wow, I can help people talk too. And I went to do an observation and saw the clinician working with the kid. The kid had no clue. And I said, this would be perfect. So at that moment I switched my major and I have been very passionate about working with kids in particular when it comes to, to their speech. And then I fell in love with stuttering as one of those areas that most speech pathologists shy away from, I love a challenge. And if I can impact some kid and their future based on stuttering, um, that's what I want to do. I can change their whole trajectory or outlook on life. So,
0: You know I agree. (laughs) Okay. (laughs) Maurice, tell us.
4: I uh, I got my start uh, actually in the music world of things, so that's probably where I fell I would say in love with voices more so. Um, I come from a family of singers and performers of different kinds, and my mother specifically was a singer, and so we grew up singing, and I still think she has, like, probably the best, if she's watching, I think she is like, the best voice of anyone I know, right? Um, but I grew up listening to her singing, and then I grew up in the church singing and doing music. Um, Through kind of that pathway in my own kind of journey with my voice, I found speech pathology. Um, And now I get to do the work of helping people kind of overcome the challenges that happen in specifics to voicing um, in the work that I do here in
1: Houston. Okay. I I knew you were doing introductions. I really would love to connect with you after this. See, I told you they were wild. Voice is the one area that if it weren't stuttering, I would have gone into voice and I sing. Yeah. Right now, my I voice, just teaching a group fitness class, my voice isn't where it's supposed to be. Oh, we, so got, I'm, you. I'm, we got you. We
4: got you.
0: Definitely. <laughs> and it's so funny when you said that, Kia, coming in from teaching fitness, I was like, that is a target population for yeah. voice yeah. teachers. Yeah. And in particular, yes, we have yeah. those fitness <laughs> instructors. Okay, yeah. welcome to those who are tuning in from various places. I see St. Louis in the house, and I think we have some Louisiana in the house. Now, Mr. Curvey, tell us, you have a un- unique experience. When did you first fall in love with voice therapy? With the therapy? <laughs>
2: yeah. Um Well, I had thyroid surgery, and I told the doctors before they – removed my half of my thyroid that if it was going to affect my singing voice, I didn't want it. They did it anyway. And when they removed the half that was was tightening down my uh, vocal cord, when they took it out, it was just like a loop. There was nothing there. I couldn't sing. I couldn't do anything. So when I came out of surgery and I would go to sing a song, it was like... (gasps) Mm. And they said we didn't do anything. We don't it's not our fault, you know. So I I went they 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 referred me to well let me go back a little bit. I always went in love with my voice because after the, after the military and some of doing the military, I had retreated into myself. And mm. my voice was all that I had. That was my best friend. And I actually without that, I don't know how I could have made a mail through <laughs> a lot of different events. But um once they, they, they the VA referred me to speech pathology and I went for like a year and almost a year and a half and I didn't really get any results like I should, like I wanted. And then, so I, when it was over, I left and I came back and they, and I they you sent me a letter and said that you were the new person for the VA. And so I came and when I came, you gave me techniques that none of the others had ever done before. And because of oh (laughs) shut up. But (laughs) but, hey, but I'm saying it all boiled down to a cup and a straw. (laughs) And then she took my she she taught me to exercise the muscles around my vocal cord and my thyroid and and now I can sing great and I'm happy again. I just can't hit the high notes. She doesn't promise me that I'm gonna get there, but she said we'll try, okay?
0: (laughs) Yes. We might have to send you to Maurice to to take you to that next level. <laughs> no. which I, heard say, I, know.
2: I heard him say he's a singer. I heard him say that. <laughs> yeah.
1: Now look, and I did he- not pay him for this, but I thank <laughs> you so much. <laughs> and I, I mean I understand as a singer, I mean, I could at any time I feel anything, I go straight to the doctor and say, I need so I need to see my vocal folds. Let me see, yes. put the camera down there and how things are looking. So um wow, this is good to be in this bunch.
0: Yes, it's a great, great topic. And before we get to what happens when you go see Mr. Maurice to his office and they look at your vocal folds, let's no, talk this about is her way
2: of telling me she's getting rid of me.
0: No, no, no. <laughs> no, no, no. no, no. we'll be working
3: with you. <laughs>
0: summer down, summer down. <laughs> But Mr. Carvey, talk about like you said, your voice was your best friend. That in itself was powerful. That you said it that way, and we take for granted that our voice is there, and it gives us gives us access to so much. What did that feel like for you? I'll
2: give an example. It's called probably like the feeling that people get with dementia. You're trapped in your own body. I I, I, I was I was my first day of getting overseas <clears throat> into the Vietnam area. I was surrounded by the Viet Cong, and I had no gun. I had no instructions. I had no, I didn't even know what I was doing. I was trapped like that for like an hour, mm-hmm. and that caused me to have PTSD. So anytime I could spend by myself without having to go out around others, I did. And it was my voice that that's something I brought from home. That's something that's a part of me. That's something that um, um, I could depend on and rely on. I didn't, it didn't lie to me. It didn't fool me. It didn't mislead me. So that was my love with my voice uh, and my singing ability. So when we, um, uh, that was how it actually became, because I don't know if you know much about PTSD, but uh, you, you tend to, to be, you're most comfortable when you're alone and by yourself and not having to deal with things out on the outside. So it, 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 it brought me through some very difficult times. And when I lost it, I was hurt to my heart. It's like I like somebody that took a part of me away, and when I could only say, huh, huh, "I thought I was done. I thought it was over." It was like Sammy Davis Jr. when he said when they wanted to take that cancer out of his throat, and he said that um, if he couldn't sing, he didn't want to live. And I felt that same way.
0: Wow. All right. With that said, Mr. Maurice, we see these kind of clients, and again, I want you to do the talking from the perspective you work in a medical setting, give us some background on that and what you're seeing as it relates to voice when people come in.
4: Yeah, so um, I thankfully um, am in a situation where um, I work alongside two really wonderful uh, laryngologists. So those are ENTs who study specifically the vocal cords in relation to voice and a few other things. Um, But we work alongside by side to uh, let's say we had a patient come in who had a thyroid procedure and then we evaluate them together and then we kind of put a plan to, to figure out how we how we get people back. But certainly this story that we're listening to now is one that happens almost every day in our clinic. Um, of people that are experiencing um, difficulties making voice to different degrees. And it's from people who have lost their voice completely or to like Dr. Johnson just said, uh, you know, struggling with teaching class and then being a professor and being all of these things, all of which primarily require vocal communication for, and that tends to take a toll because we're humans and we're made up of body (laughs) and it can only do so much. Um, So I'm grateful. You know, to be in a position where uh, we're not only having patients come in who need some help, but then we're also in a position to help and work alongside the people to, you know, get them back to where they'd like to be.
0: Yes.
1: Yes, 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 yes. Mm-hmm. And thing, what's that? Specific to voice, even in our, um, in our Black communities, we have things that we do like singing. A lot mm-hmm. of us don't necessarily realize what are the signs or symptoms that you could see or notice that you may just think, Oh, it's just, it's nothing. I'm saying too hard at church on Sunday or something, but right. things that time can be problematic. Um, so just throwing that out there. Mm-hmm. I, I
0: nope.
1: <laughs> we're, we're
0: talking about it because my next question, my question is what, what is the face of the voice? We see Mr. Curvey? very real, he loves singing. Like you said, you served our country and Mm. you didn't talk about that. You're an entrepreneur. And then Kia, you just mentioned that in our churches. That is another population. We have teachers. We have that. But I want Maurice to talk about it. Yes. So what is the face of that? Put a real face to it. What are their jobs? What are you seeing? you they come in with their disorder or their challenges or their complaints. Yes. Mm -hmm. Tell me about the jobs. Come in careers that are prone to voice challenges
4: yeah and i, I think the misconception especially when you work at some place like a like a voice center or you go to a doctor for your voice we always think um that you have to be something big right that it has to matter right <laughs> that i have to be making money off of my voice to care that it's not working correctly they asked me that. And yeah and i would i would disagree right in that um it, like you said, it's a part of who we are, and when we lose that, we we lose a sense of self. So, in regards to who those people are, it's certainly a lot of teachers. Um, we see a lot of singers of, of different, um, mm-hmm. I guess, career levels. So, from just people that enjoy singing in a church choir to someone who makes their you know living and supports a family off of their voice. Um, we see a lot of medical professionals. People. Because once again, it's like you have to communicate vocally, right, in the hospital. So we're seeing people that work within the hospital that are having difficulty. Um, You know, we see a lot of people that are on the phone, a lot of call centers, a lot of uh, people who work in customer service. Um, And then you just see the gamut when it comes to, obviously, there are more use-based disorders like muscle tension, vocal fold nodules, things like that. But then... Um, like Mr. Curvey's case, you have people who have procedures who had no clue that they would end up outside of the procedure with something wrong with their voice. And, uh, you know, I don't want to say thankfully, because obviously this has taken you on a journey you wouldn't have expected, but um, uh, they had, you know, let you know that maybe something could go wrong. But so often we're seeing patients who had no clue that, uh, you know, a thyroid surgery could lead to them being aphonic or without voice. And so, There's a there's or, a lot of whisper
3: or whisper. Yeah, yeah,
4: yeah. Mm-hmm. Or even if they say, you know, this could change your voice, they don't prepare you for n- no voice. No voice. <laughs> yeah. Um, so there's there's a there's a lot of that.
0: Yeah. So much, so much to cover, but we are going to get into it. Thank you for that. And you're right. I call them vocal athletes. If you use your yeah. voice to make a living. And like you said, you don't have to be Beyonce.
3: Right.
0: But mm-hmm. if if you can't communicate, go ahead, Mr. Curvey. He, he has his figure
2: was, up. Yeah, I know. Uh, I was gonna add one more thing. Having lost my voice, regained my voice, I'm now conscious when someone's voice is not right. Hmm. That's because I lost a friend two weeks ago, he was on dialysis and he would be just talking and all of a sudden his voice would just go real faint. And I'd ask him what was wrong, he would just keep talking. So it has made me more conscious of how people talk and that they can't talk if they're having an impediment or something. Just thought I'd throw that in.
0: Hey, you've been learning a lot, no, but it's true. The voice tells us so much about a person. And when you lose your ability to communicate, that's really tough. And then like you said, it can be a sign of some illness or something else that's going on. And Kia, talk to us from the perspective of fluency. Again, that's one of those challenges that people go through. And I feel like a lot of times they suffer in silence. What would you say to the parent of a child who is going through it? So the advice that you would give to a parent of a child who stutters versus an adult who is out here working right now?
1: Okay, so of course, I'll start with the parent. And the one tip I would give to a parent is go with your gut. Um, A lot of times, um, parents may have concerns, and they go straight to the pediatrician. You know, I think something's going on. And the pediatrician usually will say, don't worry about it. Every kid is disfluent. Every kid will grow out of it. And that's true for most kids. But no one really at that point, especially in the pediatrician's office, really has the ability to say, this child is gonna grow out of it or this child is not. And I would rather the parent come to a speech language pathologist and get an evaluation because there are things that I can look for that would lead me to think, yes, this child is on the road to recovery or no, this child is not. And a lot of times because a pediatrician is that stopping point of, yes, I'll give you a referral or no, I won't. Oftentimes the kid doesn't get to us till they're eight or nine years old. And then the kid is outside, outside of the window of recovery and may have some baggage now because of negative experiences. And now the SLP has to deal with that. So I would rather just give them way early. Um, so that I can make the educated decision of whether or not I think they're on the road to recovery or, or not. Um, so my advice for parents is to get an evaluation to at least get a baseline on where the child is. Um, for an adult, I, I think it comes down to how comfortable that adult is with their speech. We really want adults who stutter to be comfortable saying whatever they want to say, whether it's fluent or not. And that's the big point. If you have an adult who stutters and they're not comfortable, then let's seek out some support from a speech pathologist who can help you feel comfortable speaking, whether again, it's stuttered or not. The goal is communicating. Um, The goal is not to become 100% fluent. Um, Yes, I can give you some strategies that may help, but most importantly, whether you use the strategies or not, I want you to feel comfortable talking. But if you have an adult who stutters and they're okay with it that's where we want them to be and a lot of times it's the listener and it's the audience that has a discomfort. I want the person who stutters to be fine with the way you know way they talk you know it's just like wearing glasses or wearing um, you know I don't a hearing aid it's a, a stuttering is a part of, of who you are and um, it shouldn't be something that people feel like they have to get rid of. But more so, how do you feel comfortable with it?
0: Mm-hmm. That's good. I'm going to pop this comment on the screen. Shout out to Miss Aquila. Mm-hmm. So her stroke affected her speech, as you're seeing that, and she she stuttered from time to time. And she did work with me. We did some great work. Thank you. I promise you, I'm not paying these people, but thank you all so much. Thank you. Um, <laughs> but she. <laughs> she hasn't gotten speech in a while. So she feels like her speech is backsliding. So talk about that stroke, like stuttering as a
1: result of some kind of problem, like a stroke. And that's, and that's interesting because most individuals who stutter, they're your traditional, I started stuttering as a kid and I just have continued to stutter since then or had some relapse or something like that. But like, I think based on what, um, Ms. Johnson has posted, you can stutter as a result of a neurological event. And speaking to Mr. Um, Is it Curve? Forgiving. Okay. You can also even have stuttering as a side effect to PTSD. Um, And a um, a lot of people may not realize that. And then you may have some clinicians who may not realize that. So in those cases, it's important for the The speech pathologist to know why is this person stuttering? Is it because of a stroke or is it because of PTSD? Is it because they've been doing this, you know, since they were a kid? And then we tackle it differently um, because depending on how the medical team is addressing the stroke, that could impact the fluency. So it's a team. It's a team effort, and everybody really has to be talking to each other. So, so in that case, I would say, you know, what's the neuro, neuro, um, neurologist's um, prognosis? What is their plan? And how is that going to impact fluency?
2: I think that when I see that myself that I'm stuttering, I, I tell myself, you're talking too fast. Your, your mind is, is moving faster than your mouth. And I try to slow down, uh, try to slow me down. But yes, I do get that. Mm-hmm. And I'll that. Uh, d- uh, 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 d- you know. I'll do that. I'll do that.
1: Yeah. Yeah. And and a lot of people. And I, I. think. Um. Especially in our older. Um. Community. People may not realize that that's. You know. This fluent speech that you can do something about. But again, if you're okay with that, it, the most important thing is that you're comfortable and feel like you can communicate whatever you want to communicate.
2: Yes. Yeah. But until you said that. I would have never associated that with PTSD.
1: Yeah, we call it um, psychogenic stuttering. So you have acquired stuttering and you have developmental stuttering. Most cases are developmental. They started when they were a kid and it's just progressed on. But you can also have stuttering that's acquired um, or later in life due to some neurological event or a psychological event. Um, and we tackle those as a clinician differently than we would if they were a kid, you know, childhood developmental stuttering.
0: Yes. Okay, I'm going to be a little messy here. (laughs) Uh What do you say to the people? And I'm saying this because I've been out in places as an entrepreneur out here in these streets and people saying that they're coaches and they're speaking coaches and things like that. Maurice, you can speak to this too from the voice perspective.
1: But to people who say that they can
0: cure stuttering.
1: Okay, so I want to be clear in saying that (laughs) no one can cure stuttering. Um, If you go on Google right now and hit stuttering cure, there are things that pop up. And I won't um, give any light to any um, source out there. Um, But people have to be mindful of, there's no cure to stuttering. There's no magic pill to cure stuttering. Um, and it's, it's important for our families and our communities to not buy into that because there are people out there who are saying, I have the cure um, and give me your money and I will cure you of stuttering in, in two or three days. And and I don't stutter. So I cannot um, pretend to know what it may feel like to feel as though you have a solution. Mm-hmm. Um, but I really it, it hurts my heart when I see stories of individuals who are like, yes, I found the cure. And now and you see the tears and they're like, my mm-hmm. stuttering is gone forever. And I'm just going, oh, my gosh, <sighs> no, it's, you know, um, <laughs> And so I I don't know what's the answer, but I think educating our communities to go to and I don't mean to put in a plug for a certified speech language pathologist, but look for a certified speech language pathologist. Look at credentials, look at licensing. And a lot of these people on the Internet who say they have the cure are not certified, Um, but we can't do anything about that um, because they're not certified. So, just be wary of quick fixes. It's just like weight loss. You know, some, you know, somebody has a, a gimmick. You don't have to be thoughtful of it. Mm. That's my politically correct answer. <laughs> Thank you so much. <laughs> but but I will. I teach my fluency classes. I let the students know to stay on top of that because families will call and say, "What do? You, what's your opinion on blah, blah 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 blah?" And I need to be abreast of knowing what those are so I can tell them what I really think about it. (laughs) Mm -hmm. Yes,
0: ma'am. Maurice, what are some of those quick fixes in the voice world that people say, if I do this, then my voice is going to be brand new?
4: You know, we hear those things all the time. And (laughs) I actually believe most of them are well-meaning and actually probably don't do harm per se. I think one of the biggest ones is uh, like drinking a tea. Like you buy a tea that is meant to make your voice better. But what speech pathologists and ENTs know is that, you know, that tea or anything that you drink never touches the vocal cords themselves. So we'll see people with nodules who say, "What if I drink this tea, it's going to make my voice better. Well, it's going to make you more hydrated, which is always great as a human mm-hmm. being. That warm <laughs> liquid may make the muscles feel good. You get a nice sensory response that makes you feel good. Important. Mm-hmm. We love it. Keep doing Murray, that. Marie, you me here. Uh, <laughs> it had to but, be said.
1: <laughs>
4: I'm going to leave but, the brand out. So are
1: you saying I should throw Because I, I swear by no. it.
4: <laughs> no. And I think there are some really awesome singers out there that have put together like things that are generally good for you as a human. Mm-hmm. and so. If you're being good to your body, I, I think most voice disorders, they will follow, right? We, we want you to feel good. If you're having trouble with effort and strain and fatigue, then we want you to take care of your body because your body will help you recover, right? I think some of the more, um, I, I think malicious is the wrong term because I'm sure that the clinician is well-intentioned, but you, know, you hear uh, cures for uh, neurologic voice disorders just like you would for, <laughs> something like stuttering. We hear that for, you know, post-surgical voice outcomes that somebody can cure or fix a paralysis. And that's just not currently um, true. And there doesn't seem to be any data or evidence to show that. Um, And I think it's difficult because some people may see responses and they may Mm -hmm. feel like they benefited from a certain treatment, um, but from a I think one of the, the great things that Dr. Johnson was talking about when you find a, a somebody who is certified in what they do by a greater body, we are responsible to that body mm-hmm. and more, more so responsible to people to do things that are right by them. And we have people that are checking after us to make sure that we are doing that, right? And mm-hmm. if we are not doing that, they will come after us, right? And that is why I think the certification is important. Certainly when it comes to speech and fluency, you're finding people that are responsible to something bigger than themselves.
0: Yes. Mr. Curvey, have you ever tried anything? By-
3: <laughs> <laughs> tell us what you did. <laughs> like yes, yeah, like, tell us like,
0: from so like in, when you were in that mode where you felt afraid and you wanted your voice to work, hmm. tell us from the patient side. Have you been tempted to try anything for your voice to try to get it like, to come back faster?
2: Like hydrochloroquine. <laughs> <laughs>
3: No, shots. Right, I, shots. <laughs> no yeah. I
1: haven't.
2: Uh, no, yes, I did. <clears throat> but the, the, I tried, but it hurt. It hurt. I tried to do it on my own. And when I was take, taking just speech pathology, they would try to hit, make me go higher and I was afraid. I, I got to a point I was scared to even try. So I just left it alone. It wasn't, like I said, it wasn't until I met you and you came up with techniques I would never, in a year and a half, nobody had even... They told me they would grab me like this and go, <laughs> you know, stuff like that. I wasn't getting anywhere with that stuff. And, uh, and, then that, and it just came down to this clip of water where I could blow in that thing as high as I wanted long. Y'all laughing, but that people were doing me like that. They really were. <laughs> <behind> wow. <laughs> like they were like a Heimlich maneuver or something. <laughs> but... But no, I never tried anything and I didn't know anything. You know what I'm saying? The most I probably would have tried warm water or Listerine and gargle, but it just didn't help. I had no voice. I had no voice. I, it was for as long as I could. And the doctors were running from me because they, they said, We didn't do nothing. We, You say, Is it opening and closing? Well, that's all we were supposed to do. You know what I'm saying? So, wow. I'm serious. If I'm serious. Wow. I'm serious.
0: Okay, Celeste said an old wives' tale is sugar under the tongue will cure
1: stuttering. That, um, I saw that comment and um, and I'm not even sure if the other comment is related to uh, fluency or to voice, but that is a great point. Um, a lot of, there are a lot of, I call them cultural um, uh, viewpoints on what you can do for stuttering. And I've heard that um So she said sugar under the tongue. I've heard taking um, um, a washcloth or rag and dipping it in um, bourbon or whiskey or something, alcohol and putting it under the tongue helps. Um, I've heard there are some cultures who think that kids stutter because they were shown their reflection too early or made to stand up too soon. Um, There are so many different cultural views on stuttering. And what I find fascinating is that there are so many things out there. I, we went to a study abroad to Belize last year and it just lucked up that they showed us a tree. Um, oh, What is it called? Of course, um, I'm blanking on it now. A calabash fruit, calabash tree. And the lady s- showed us the, the fruit and I said, well, what is it for? And she didn't know I was in stuttering. She said, we dry the fruit out and make a tea from it and um, the person is supposed to drink it and it helps their stuttering go away. It cures their stuttering And, and it's awesome, amazing that she said, you know, and it works. And so as a clinician, we can go into different situations and be faced with a patient or family that has a cultural view on what they think may cure stuttering. And it's not my job to tell them that's wrong but what I do try to tell them in a nicer way—that's that's one way of looking at it. But what I how I view it is this, this, and this. So um, let's try this, this, and this first, um, and be respectful of different cultural views. Um, there are some people whose cultures let's we go to the temple first, we pray about it with you know the 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 head of the temple, and then we go to therapy. I want to respect that. And I teach my students to respect that. So if someone came to me and said, yeah, I think we're supposed to put sugar under the tongue, I'm going to say, "Okay, um, you can definitely try that. Because in my mind, I know know, it's not necessarily going to work. But it's not going to hurt. Put sugar on the tongue. That's fine. But let's also do this, this, and this. And that really establishes rapport, I think.
0: Okay, I don't know. Maybe this is for you, Maurice. Thank you for that, Kia. For addressing that. Maybe this is for Maurice. Um, yeah. Maurice, my granny used to make me take goose grease and honey. Okay. What
1: goose grease. I want to know what yes. goose grease. Is.
0: Ivan, what is goose grease? We don't really have time almost, to Google it, but I almost um, read that
4: as gray goose and I was like, that would have a different effect. Yeah, but. I did too initially. <laughs>
1: that, that be, that, maybe that's what they meant. Um her, Maurice, no, I can tell you that I was always trained to. Um, there's a specific brand of tea, and I won't say the name. Uh-huh. And I sang professionally as a kid. And <laughs> prior, they would set up styrofoam cups and they would pour the tea in there. And they would take, um, I won't say the brand, they would take a throat lozenge and drop it in each cup and let it melt. And then we had to go through and drink a cup before our performances. So I'll leave that there. <laughs> I think How long did it take are-
2: a lozenge to melt?
1: I- <laughs> you no, know, it was so nasty, but it's an a quiet place. So, like now, twelve. You know, I was twelve then, and now I I still swear by my tea, but now Maurice is making me.
4: Well, you know, so- I will I will also say this. So even I am still currently singing and performing regularly, and I still have my things that I do before I sing, that there is like no data to show that they're necessarily helpful. Um, but like, if I have a big performance or a big audition, the one thing that I will go out and buy is high pH water. I just like love it. And okay. I'm a very good
1: friend. Like, pH water. <laughs>
4: <laughs> my my brand of choice. I'm not an ambassador. Is Essentia. I like can't get enough of it. When I feel like I'm nervous or I need to get prepared for something. Once again, there is like no data that shows that high pH water is better for your voice. But for me, it makes me feel better. Like it makes me feel like I'm ready to go. Okay. And it's certainly yeah. not hurtful, right? <laughs> so I I I err on the side of like if it makes you feel good, we're not hurting anything, right? It, and it's part it of moves. your like ritual as a human. Then like get into it, sure.
0: Yeah, yeah. But what if it's Greg Goose and a pig, though? more um,
1: <laughs> <Sorry. laughs> so, I have to, to divulge you know, that this, this comment right here—that's my mother—and I am not surprised that she knows the <laughs> answer. <laughs> <laughs>
0: Hi, Mother Heart, Goose grease, <laughs> grease, that's a tongue twister. Goose grease is just that.
1: The grease, okay. put in the jar. I I, my stomach just churned. Um, OK, <laughs> so putting that with honey. I'm, OK. OK, yeah. I guess use it when oh, people.
0: I'll still use for the mums. OK. <laughs> but, so going
1: with the no, But the, I think this is important, though, because when we are working with families, families will come with different things that they traditionally have used. And my professional opinion or my personal professional opinion is that I don't want to tell a family that doesn't make sense. That's not going to work um, because I want to establish rapport. And like Marie said, it's not that it's going to hurt things, but I would rather give you another option. Um, yeah. and, and let's try another option.
0: And that's a good way to handle that and talk about from the church. Since we're talking about culture, we didn't get into it earlier, but before we go, you know, jump into tips and things like that, let's talk about in the churches, in our communities, as it relates to voice and communication, some of the, some of the things that we're seeing that we can do better. Like the cups of tea with the lozenges. I mean, like you said, if, if it makes you feel good. But then, what about the belief that God takes care of my voice, pray my strength in the Lord, My voice is not working, but I'm gonna press through Maurice. Can you speak about that?
1: Yeah,
4: I think I can lightly definitely maybe touch on a few things and not to open okay. you know a whole a whole larger discussion, although it may be helpful for some people. You know, I think it would be I work in a medical center and I work for a hospital um, and I work for a nice hospital system, right? And we take patients with insurance and um, we are set up in a way that it costs money to come and see us. Um, we are not the most accessible to everyone, even though I'd li- like to think that uh, or believe that we can be individually, but the system that we work within is just it's healthcare, right? I think there are systemic issues that tend to impact our communities. Um, in regards to access to care. Mm -hmm. And so I feel like specifically in our communities, we've had to build up other ways of taking care of ourselves, right? And I think a big way that people have done is like either lean on religion or lean on some of the things that we just get passed down to us, like oral history or things that get passed down through the family, right? Ways of taking care of the body and the voice when um, a lot of people don't even know that we exist, right? I see... Gospel singers, specifically, almost every every week, who had no clue that losing their voice was abnormal. They just didn't even know that that's that's not typical. Whereas I think in other so classical music or even you know high level musical theater, they throughout their education have interacted with people that specialize in voice health, and that's just not a thing within some of these communities. So they don't even know. So mm-hmm. I think that's definitely a challenge in that we're often catching things, you know. Once again, anecdotal, but I think there's data in other fields that show that we end up catching things way down the road. And then we're dealing with more severe cases um, because people just don't even know where to go and where to look for help, or they've kind of lived with this problem for so long that it's almost become part of who they are. And there's like a lot to unpack there when we start to think about who we are as a community and people of color, specifically Black people. Um, You can see it in the city of Houston, certainly. Um, impacting different communities than others.
0: Mm-hmm. Mr. Kerbey? Yeah. Two First First
2: say it more, again. Your, you know, your ask sound Maurice is- two questions. I want to ask Maurice two questions. People that have naturally gifted voices, as they get older, if they're not actually singing a lot or doing something, do they lose their voice? And if they do, is it possible to recover that? And my second question is, I know of people that get nodules inside uh-huh. of the throat. Can those be removed by laser so that they can sing again?
4: So I'll answer the second one first because I, I think that's an easier one. So the nodules, actually, there's like a, a ton of really great you know, data now that, that shows that surgery probably isn't the best option <laughs> for someone with nodules. I guess it depends on the case, um, but we as speech pathologists, I know Shuli and Dr. Johnson certainly um, can kind of err on this. We believe in like behavioral and functional therapy. And what we've seen is that patients are able to change the way that they use their voice, continue to function with their voice um, and slowly over time, reduce the nodules or the impact that you get from making voicing. We see people like that all the time. People come through on tour or they're doing a show or a gig here in town and we, you know, perform still perform, but think about the ways in which you're using your voice that are making that worse. And let's Mm -hmm. see if we can pull things back a little bit and really let the body do what it does, which is heal itself, Mm -hmm. which is pretty cool about the voice, I think. And then people that are good singers, can they get bad and get better again? Or is it just a thing? So um, I do think there are very special talents in this world, (laughs) 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 like uh, freaks of nature, and that they open their mouths and good things come out. Um, But I actually believe that most singing is is really good muscle memory and really good oral listening skills and your ability to put all those things together and do it well. I, I think about this like, um I say this to my patients all the time, right? When we're learning something new, oh, this feels hard or this feels unnatural. And I'm like, you know, the difference between me and someone who's a professional basketball player is they can stand on the, the three-point line and do it over and over and over and over and over. That is a good singer. Not mm-hmm. someone who does it one, not someone who flukes it. It's someone who opens their mouth and does the same thing in a way that pleases me over <laughs> and over and over and over. And I think there's social things tied in that certainly and and different cultures prioritize different qualities. And so um, I think that's a really interesting conversation. But we, you know, we see people kind of, I have periods, I remember grad school, I didn't sing for three years. I sounded terrible. <laughs> you know and then you get yourself back into it and it's been a journey back to a better voice but yeah
2: well, and i want to say what about the mental block like i was saying earlier when i was in speech pathology and they would want me to go higher or try and i i was just too afraid to do it is that like a mm-hmm. psychological thing or? i had gotten to that point where i knew i couldn't do it and i, I knew it would hurt a little bit now that I've got my voice strong, my throat strong, my muscles strong, I might try it, but I'm still fearful.
1: I, th- I think one thing Trauma that you, what you can think about, um, too, that I would like to think most speech pathologists, when they're wanting to push the patient to do something, um, in our minds, we have seen evidence before that to let us know that you can do it. Um, And not that we're trying to get you to do something that we don't think you can do. So sometimes it may mean having some additional conversation with the patient to say, look, Jerry, I know you can do this. Um, Everything that I've seen so far tells me that you can do it. And at this point, all I need you to do is try to do it. Mm -hmm. You know, Um, in stuttering, um, I'm not going to ask um, a client to give a speech if I don't think with 200% confidence that they're ready to do it. Um, So I think that's something to think about. But I wanted to tie Maurice's comment back to Shuli's comment about in like the church and when people say, you know, um, what did you say? What were some of the the church- I pray my strength in the Lord and all that. And so I just want to be clear, I am I'm, I'm a Christian, I believe in God. I read the Bible. and I truly believe, this is where my science meets my my belief. I truly believe that um, and this is regardless of what people believe this is what I believe, that God gives people gifts. And some of us are gifted with the ability to sing. and and my my body is my temple, my voice is my gift. And if I was blessed with this gift, it's my responsibility to protect it. Mm. Um, and the proverb, and I wrote it down, um, the The fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge, but fools despise wisdom and, and instruction. So at some point we have to use our wisdom and instruction to protect the gift that we were given. Mm. And so that's, that's how I look at it. Well said.
0: Oh, so okay. you see why I
2: felt robbed when I lost mine. I felt like I had been yeah. a little, you know, burglarized I, or something. I, oh, <laughs> yeah.
1: it was last summer. I felt, and I, I'm, I'm going to show it like right here. I felt <laughs> something, yeah, and it it felt like a sharp something, and it was it was not superficial, and I panicked and I said because I sing in the music ministry at my church, very involved, and I said, oh my gosh, something's wrong. I literally called the ENT. I said, I need an appointment. I need an endoscope. I need to look at my vocal folds because I'm worried. And so I totally understand, like the fear of not being able to sing. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Oh my gosh, I couldn't even imagine it. But I will, Maurice, I I saw the video of my vocal folds and everything was fine. They said maybe I pulled a muscle somewhere around it, but it wasn't my vocal folds, mm-hmm. so. <laughs> so mm-hmm. very Prayer strengthen the Lord. my my, my strength in the Lord. Yes.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Let's, let's help some people. You all are on here and we want to talk tips from both perspectives. We have people that are now doing zoom calls all day and they have these challenges, or maybe they're doing more podcasts. People are so from Zoom calls for training and work to people that are launching careers as speakers, podcasters. So much is going on during this pandemic as people are pivoting and learning new ways to do things. What are some communication tips from your specialty areas that can help them be successful?
1: I want Maurice to start because I'm taking notes because... (laughs)
4: I, I think a couple things, and I, I will first speak from personal experience. I know surely when mm-hmm. I first hopped on this call, we were talking about how exhausting it is to be on mm-hmm. Skype all day. Um, so, mm-hmm. you know, when COVID started, I transitioned to a fully Zoom-based therapy um, schedule, and I was having days where there was eight or nine people back to back to back to back. That is very exhausting, right? I think there's a few very actionable things that I learned. Take your time to talk. I don't know why when I'm in front of a camera, I feel like I have to talk so much bigger and so much quicker. And then if I'm not captivating enough, they just won't get it.
3: Yeah. And it's
4: likely a body language thing is people, like we tend to communicate with our bodies and you're seeing this much of me. So I feel like I have to do so much more. Um, take your time. I am, As you've seen, I'm sipping from my Santa mug throughout this entire conversation. <laughs> Have something close by that just reminds you to take a break, swallow, help reset the set the body and the voice. I think one of the big things certainly are headphones because they just help you from feeling like you have to shout the distance to your computer. Uh, they certainly help mitigate any problems you have hearing the person. Um, and then just in general, setting yourself up in the right position to be successful. I know if life is stressful, if the job is stressful, if the position that you're physically in is stressful, Uh, it will likely cause your voice to demonstrate that. So just finding out ways to to make everything, uh, what's the feeling that makes you have, uh, right? So for most of my Zoom calls, I'm in a dress shirt and I'm in sweatpants because that makes me feel comfortable, right? And if I'm comfortable, I'm gonna be able to produce my voice so much better than if I'm feeling uncomfortable and stressed and strained and out of pocket, right? Let me just sit in this.
1: Yeah. That's good. That's really good. So so Maurice, I can tell you, I usually wear pajama bottoms or yoga pants (laughs) on a cute dress shirt with something (laughs) Um, But to add on to Maurice's comments, especially from a fluency side and not necessarily for people who stutter, but just for people in general when it comes to fluency and just your point about Taking your time. Um, mm-hmm. I think a lot of times with these Zooms and you know video calls, all you have to give is a square and what I'm portraying. And sometimes that can make people feel nervous because the camera is on you. So when I'm talking, everybody's looking at me. Um, but that can make us talk faster. Mm-hmm. And that can make us be more disfluent. So if we just took our time and actually how I'm talking now, taking pauses to gather my thoughts, to make sure that I'm saying what I want to say and not feeling like you have to rush, that could just help with overall fluency and speaking skills. You know, yeah, like Tristan said, take your time. Um, when you're on these calls, even no matter how many people they are, there are, you like right now y'all are listening to me, you know? So when I have my time to talk, I have my time to talk and you know, taking notes or writing your thoughts down. So when it comes to be your turn, you can say what you want to say.
0: Okay. okay. This is something, a unique <laughs> profession. I'm posting this because the question, we'll put it in this context. So I'm an auctioneer and I have my routine for my voice as well. What can someone who has a heavy vocal demand, what can they do to preserve their voice?
4: Ooh, I'll go, I'll go. I'll go. Yeah. Well, first, I'll okay. <laughs>
3: take Celeste <laughs> is my aunt. So I oh, okay. That. I texted her.
0: I okay. told her,
4: you're famous at this point. You've gotten two shout outs. Tonight's your night. Okay. So what can we do? And these people who use their voice uh, for their work, um, I think taking breaks is important. We do not think about the voice as a functioning, like collection of muscles and tissue until something goes very wrong. Huh. And I noticed that a lot. And I think that's because for most people, um, we wake up, we're born making noise and we use Our voice as our primary form of communication. Most people still do that, right? And then we get into jobs and work and we build social relationships uh, that require voice communication as the primary form of communication. And we don't think about the fact that they are tissues and tissues that get irritated. It's made of muscle and muscle that gets irritated. There's cartilages and other things kind of involved that all work. And every time you're using your voice, those things are working and those things can fatigue and those things can become tired. I would be lying if I, you know, I was at the hospital a little after seven this morning, got home around six o'clock, jumped on a call. My voice is tired, right? Mm-hmm. I do voice therapy all day. Um, mm-hmm. And so it's taking the breaks, checking in with your body. I think kinesthetic awareness is really important. What feels good and what doesn't feel good, and kind of learning how to become a little more in tune with yourself. We know when something doesn't feel good, definitely. That's like the primary complaint. It hurts or it feels bad. And one of the first things that I have patients tell me is what makes you feel better? What feels helpful? And then how do we up that? How do we make that feel even better than it does now? How do we make anything we do in here feel even more helpful when you go home? So it's identifying the things, what makes me feel good, doing more of that, (laughs) and then taking the time to just let things rest.
0: Okay. Can you give a specific technique, both of you, a very specific technique that one could try to perhaps warm up their voice or to make some sort of correction, relaxation, whatever you choose? What's something practical that one could do at home before they jump on a Zoom call, for instance?
4: Can I offer I- one and then bounce? Can we bounce one to Mr. Curvey? And have him yes. show us what his is.
0: Yes. <laughs> <laughs>
2: yeah. Oh, you ready for me?
0: Oh, you're going to say yours it. first. Okay, go No, ahead. let's do it. Let's He's do ready. It. Go ahead. Let's do it.
4: Shuli's getting you up there. <laughs>
0: <laughs> you hear it. He He's working on it. I'm proud of him. He's come a long way. I must say. So
1: so <laughs> I'm just going to see you. So <laughs> what is <this> <laughs> <water>? <laughs> Okay,
2: okay. What? go ahead. Well, make sure you don't money. put too much water in there because it in your face. <laughs> 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 that happened before.
1: <laughs> what is it supposed to do so I can try? Like what? What is that supposed to do?
2: Well, you got to ask the expert. I'll just <laughs> do it. <laughs>
1: I always
2: give a, my decision. <laughs> I am influencing. <laughs> Julie, what does it do? I mean, it really helps me. Actually, <clears <throat> it clears up a lot of things out of it. But that's mm. not the only exercise. We've got these. And I don't want to give away all of her secrets and everything. But we, she just does things. But my voice, my throat is so strong now. Even though mm. I can't hit the notes when I sing, I feel no pain. I feel it's just as smooth as I want it to be. But I'd love to be able to sing higher. But uh, I love to sing. Everybody's like, Why are you always singing? Because it's back. Yeah, oh,
0: yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Next up for an A and B selection is Absolutely. Jerry Purvey. Thank you. <laughs> okay, Maurice, can you give us some science behind that? Why is Ooh. that working for him?
4: So, um, I explain it as much as I can in layman's terms. I, this is an explanation that I struggle with. I don't have my script down exactly for this. Um, but what we find that uh, the, the water that we're blowing into, so straw phonation is a really common technique used to help reduce the amount of uh, pressure in the throat. So when mm. your vocal folds are vibrating, they, they kind of smack each other. Uh, and that happens really quickly. So uh, if you're singing, You know, a middle C, your vocal folds are hitting each other 271 times a second. Um, And depending on how loud you're singing or the quality that you're singing in, uh, they're hitting each other pretty hard. And so what the straw phonation generally helps us do is reduce the amount of pressure while we're still producing the tone, um, and hopefully getting a pretty smooth quality out of it. By adding the water, you're adding resistance. And by adding resistance, you're uh, continuing to reduce the pressure while creating pitch and bringing the folds together surely do you have anything to add
0: no no that's perfect you're saying and like oh i struggle where's my script they're like stop it but pretty much in <laughs> layman's terms too i just say well it takes the pressure off of your vocal cords yeah. and it allows you to move your voice forward so that you have more control and the water just gives you a little like i still use the word resistance so that it feels like more of an exercise and it allows you to just build up. And that way when you're doing it without the straw, it feels much easier.
3: Mm,
0: that's good to I know. Hope, so just to kind of, go ahead. My,
2: my hope was that since I have this loose vocal cord, it's just a loop right now. I was hoping that the vibrations would tighten it up some. That was what I was kind of hoping to bring so that I could hit higher notes comfortably.
0: It That's is a healthy way to exercise for sure. But anyway, I'm I'm the host today. Um, <laughs> it is a healthy way, okay. Would you like to add another tip before we jump to Kia to give us uh, something, a good takeaway mm. for fluency?
4: One thing, uh, and this may be like the theme of me is figuring out what what feels good and what is baseline. And so one of the first things I do almost in every session is I will have people stop talking (laughs) stop trying to do and just be and we will start with just taking a breath in Mm -hmm. and letting the breath go right Mm -hmm. so that you're you can feel what is the ease of breathing right how easy does it feel to just let air in and out and this is not true for every patient some patients certainly have respiratory problems that make that difficult for voice patients in general we're just breathing. We're making an easy sound, and then I will start with something. And you know, this is not new to usually or Mr. Curvey. Just,
3: <sighs>
4: Yo, yeah, we did yeah. that. Does that, that feel easy. good, right? Does that feel easy? What do you, what do you, what do you associate with that? And how do we find that place where there's not a lot of pressure, there's not a lot of strain, especially in people that use their voice the whole time? We tend to overwork because we're humans. So just trying to pull the body back to something that feels good. I encourage breathing and sighing and ooh, and kind of talking a little bit creepy, uh, as my patients say. And just kind of letting yourself sit in.
2: Actually, Maurice, I had to be taught to do that simple thing.
3: Yeah. I had to yeah. be
2: taught to be, go, no, I didn't do it.
3: Right.
2: <sighs> well, you, you know what I'm saying? I had to be taught, actually, because simple as simple as that, I couldn't do. Yeah. And it yeah. had to be mental, I think. I don't know. Yeah, yeah. It's more than, you just did it perfectly because you've probably done it many times. <laughs> it Today? Like, no. <laughs> 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 inhale, inhale. Now, you know, just, you know, I just, you know so, yeah, I, I believe Wonderful. you.
0: Wonderful. OK. Kia, your turn, but I'm passing this your way before we get ready to close out with Miss okay. Akila. Well, I'll call her Miss Johnson.
1: So before I get to her comment, I do Mm -hmm. want to give just the tip of, and again, this is not necessarily for people who stutter, but if you're wanting to maintain some sense of fluency on um, these video calls, a lot of times I'm not sure how many of us sort of come up with an outline of what we're going to talk about. You don't Mm -hmm. have to have a script, but know what you're going to talk about. What are your talking points? And having that with you so when you go into the Zoom call, you have already um, prepared in your mind what you're going to talk about, what the content is going to look like to get your mind ready to say what you want to say. Um, Mm -hmm. So that would be because I think a lot of us go into these calls and or meetings and have (laughs) no idea. Um, But to um, Ms. Johnson's comment, I feel that I feel I have to speak faster so I don't start slurring or stuttering. Um, speaking slowly makes me stutter more. Any information on why that happens? I'm gonna be very cautious in responding back to this because based on the previous comment, it sounds like there may be some neurogenic stuttering going on versus developmental. My full disclaimer, I have not seen <laughs> Ms. Johnson and we haven't had any conversation about that. So I'm not definitely not diagnosing anything. But based on what um, she's posted, I would want to look more into is it neurogenic and what if so, what caused it and what does that do to the speech? Because it could be that whatever the underlying neurological event that could cause some slurring or some speech things going on in addition to the stuttering. So there are a lot of factors that could go into why that's happening. So Ms. Johnson, you can f- um, feel free to contact me afterwards and I can make some connections with you that um, can get you some, some answers. Okay, wonderful.
0: I wanna read this comment. This one didn't come through, I'm thinking it's on another channel, but it says, Thank you, Shuli and everyone. The conversation has been very interesting and helpful so far. My mom suffered a stroke a year and a half ago and it affected her speech. It's always painful watching her garble as she struggles to hold a conversation. In those moments, I'm usually lost for words too. Mm-hmm. Would you be kind to offer some tips that can help me and other loved ones as non-specialists to work to help her regain some or all of their speech skills? So we'll end with that question when we'll wrap up after that. I think either of you could respond.
1: I guess I'll take it from an advocacy type angle first. Um, The unfortunate part of you is that a lot of times when our family members are experiencing a stroke, depending on what kind of healthcare coverage you have, usually PT is first contacted um, so that they can um, get the person walking and um, OT, if feeding themselves and things like that. And usually speech is the last part to be added to the the the, the, the team. And then the healthcare resources may not be available if they're on, on Medicare. To support that. So then our loved ones are not getting speech therapy as they should, or insurance companies may say, well, it's not going to get better. So we're not going to pay for it. That's the unfortunate side. And, you know, we as clinicians need to need to advocate to our our legislation um, to make sure that we can get support when it comes to Medicare and making sure there are dedicated funds for speech pathology so that our loved ones have the support they need. Because what happens is the family member now is trying to be that speech therapist when um, we could help, but that person may not have the resources to do it. Um, I I think our families need to be adamant with telling the neurologist, the, the physician, whomever is seeing them, get an SLP in here. You, you've put in a PT order, you put in OT order, where is the SLP's order? So that our family member can get that support. Okay.
4: One of the things that I overwhelmingly hear from patients um, and maybe we've even kind of encountered as humans that have voices and speech that sometimes gets a little off is that having a problem with communication is extremely isolating and it makes it feel like you're alone. Um, And so when someone loses their voice through a situation like a paralysis or they have nodules and they can't perform anymore, or they've developed some sort of communication problem as a result of a stroke or some other traumatic injury, um, it's isolating. I feel alone. People stop talking to me. I don't feel like talking to anyone else. And so it's figuring out how do we build community while people are recovering, right? And so as caregivers and as people who, uh, you know, have these close relationships with people going through communication problems, we're checking in with people, right? We're inviting people to do things, even if it means they sit there and they don't talk. Yeah, we're talking to them, um, allowing them the opportunity and the chance to respond, but maybe they don't. And that's okay because um, they may be going through their own things and really struggling with either their voice or their ability to communicate. But we are social beings. And the last thing we want to do in someone's recovery journey, and I know this personally, is is to have anyone feel isolated, right? And so we just want to build that community around them. And I think, thankfully, is communities of color, we tend to have really strong social and safety uh, nets just in place by nature of how we grew up and where our families are and what that looks like. And so as we continue to rely and, and lean on that, um, I think we can help people kind of tend to recover a little safer.
0: Yes. Wonderful information. Wonderful. As I close out, definitely I knew it was going to be hard to kind of taper this conversation down, but I feel like you've given both of you have given enough information to allow people to explore, to think about communication differently, to think about fluency and voice. And Mr. Curvey, thank you for bringing your personal perspective. Yes, As amazing. we get ready to close out, yeah, May is better. And I'm having to get used to it. I'm so used to better speech and hearing month, but May is better hearing and speech month. So happy <laughs> better hearing and speech Speech month to both of you. What would you say to the people who are still not convinced? They think, oh, my gosh, they don't see the results of speech, right? They think in terms of speech, somebody sitting, little lady sitting behind the desk being boring, wonk, wonk, wonk. Charlie Brown teacher telling them to say an S or telling them to do these things, what would you say to the person who's like, you know, speech is boring, but I'm going to use it with this phrase. Um, To me, speech is currency. So I'm going to put it in that context. What does that mean to you by saying speech is not boring, it's currency because?
1: Do you want to go first, Maurice? Do you want me to go? (laughs)
2: Speak at something
1: if you want. Oh, go ahead. Um, I, I, I would say from,
2: from from a patient standpoint, I was very skeptical. I could not see what those exercises were going to do because I've been through a year and a half of, of pathology, but now I'm in vocal, I guess, like training or whatever, and I couldn't see. So I can't really speak from the standpoint of money, but once I started to see that it actually does work, I got more and more excited. I would be there when she came on to, to, to get ready. I was already there. I already started warming up because I was excited. So if if you if there's doubts, let the be the doubt, let the doubts be your personal hang up, not the actual science. And I mean that that's why they're there to learn these things. You're not doing it. I'm not doing it. I'm not looking through a microscope or reading charts and data. They are. So don't. Don't have a fear of 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 this. This is this this. Everybody's going to be different, and they have to know the technique to deal with each individual. For me, this has helped to a point to where I can say I can sing, and I want to continue with it to hope that I can do get back to where I was. I just wanted to add that point. Yeah, I, I uh,
1: would, I would, I would um think that speech is currency because. Everyone has the right to communicate. Um, most of us just use speech to do it. Mm-hmm. So, because of that, we should always think about how is our our speech or our voice um, representing us. How are we able to use it to to have that right to communicate? Um, and this, so, if you if you're skeptical about it sometimes it may mean finding the right fit. So you may have two clinicians that are certified and, you know, willing to do the service, but go with whichever one is a better fit for you. And it, and, and rather than thinking speech therapy doesn't work, maybe the speech therapist you were working with may just not be a good fit. Just find another one.
4: <laughs> I guess from the, uh, the, the speech is currency standpoint, and I, I will um, truly just echo what Keo was talking about in regards to us using voice communication or speech communication as a primary form of communication um, these days, certainly, but certainly in now it's, it's important to be able to communicate the things that you want and the things that you need. And we see that in different areas of life, whether it's the student, uh, the person at work, uh, or the older adults and really um, prioritizing communication throughout any stage of life um, is good. I will also say, you know, we we exist on the, I exist on the side of, of humans that don't have issues with my voice, right? And so then it's also an encouragement to uh, the rest of us to really allow the space for people that communicate differently right? And for people that do have communication difficulty, how are we responding and what kind of world are we building and communities that we're putting together that really allow for people who exist in a way that communication is a difficulty,
3: right? Mm-hmm. Are, we,
4: are we creating a fair space for people to live in this world with us? <laughs> and yeah. I think that can this, you know, better hearing and speech month can serve as not only awareness, but a call to action, man. We, we have a lot of work to do in um, building that world and helping people feel uh, comfortable and safe.
0: Yes. Yeah. Yes. Thank you all. This was the conversation that need, needed to be had. That's why I do speak it in the Ashe, which is a West African word meaning pretty much word power. We have the power to speak a thing into existence and communication is like you said, it's a vehicle. It's the way that we do that. Thank you all for coming on. You are so welcome, Aquila. Um, Thank you all so much for coming on. How can people find you if they have more questions about fluency and communication in Maurice, if they want to get hooked up and get a scope and see what their vocal <laughs> folds look like and get some vocal tips. So <laughs> <laughs> oh, go ahead.
1: Um, How can they find you? I'm at the University of Houston within the speech pathology department. We have a university clinic there. Uh, So if anyone is local to the Houston area and um, and has some interest, we have a United Way supported clinic there. Um, So you can find me there as well. Um, And then I also do want to put in a plug for the National Black Association for Speech, Language, and Hearing. Um, So if you're in other areas uh, within Texas or outside of Texas, um, you can always reach out to us um, in basla.org um, or in basla at in basla.org for email. Um, if you have any questions, we have professionals nationwide that are ready to to lend a hand.
0: One
4: And I am either here, I use my Facebook less socially and more professionally at this point. So feel free to mm-hmm. find me there for some unofficial stuff. Um, I currently work at Houston Methodist Hospital here uh, in the Med Center in Houston. Um, And so you'd be able to find uh, the Texas Voice Center, which is where we are currently practicing. And then just on Instagram at Maurice Goodwin, keeping it boring, keeping it simple, uh, feel free to reach out there. And yes, in Basla, um, is an organization that I did not find until after I had graduated graduate school, but that's what happens when you go to PWI. So we are. <laughs> well,
0: that's another conversation that we will have down the
1: line. <laughs> and I didn't want to say anything from Marcus. Um just a little hint that, you know, um, I know the Basel Convention was supposed to be in Houston this year, but we may have some um, needs for you next year. I'll just leave it at that. Perfect. Perfect.
0: Okay, great. That panel, so cool. our panel is still on, maybe perhaps that panel is still on we were going to do a voice panel
1: yes because i can see um with mr curvey i can definitely see a vision here so um, <laughs> no public announcement has been made but
2: um, <laughs> well i'll say this i'll say this uh maurice if we do get together i'll meet you on the food court over at
3: houston all right all right come on Julie's i love that place
0: I I haven't visited you all in a while. So I have to pay a visit and maybe I'll bring a a little something, (laughs) something. Okay. And Mr. Carvey, tell him a little bit about your business before you get out of here too, because I I
2: I have a business for disadvantaged veterans. It's a nonprofit for disadvantaged veterans. That's people who got out of the military, uh, probably PTSD, bipolar, whatever they call, but they end up in trouble with the police. And what we do is, I'm a I'm a I'm a veterans outreach counselor at this time, so I can actually keep them from going to jail or prison by putting them to a detention home, a veteran detention home. And number two, if they've gone to prison before or if they're getting out of prison, we're pro, we're presently trying to work on a facility to house them while we teach them. My degree is in finance, and I want to teach them finance and mm-hmm. uh, help and to help also help their families. Uh, I, I, I've learned there's so many people out here that taking taken advantage or disadvantage of people that under the name of, 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 of them being veterans, he, assistant veterans, that I've learned that you've really got to build something first before people will really get on the bandwagon and it's a tough job. And, but I, I'm, I'm, I'm proud of it. I'm happy of it. And I've been doing it. And I'm now I'm getting ready to take some new positions. We're getting ready to try to are in the process of buying a building. our first building to convert.
0: I'm excited for you for that. And is it Valor Shield? Is that the way
2: it is? V-A-L-O? Oh, I'm sorry. I am, I'm really not doing uh, pathology and, and, and currency or whatever you said. No, I'm, no, right. you're doing great. <laughs> I'm, I'm killing myself. You. No, no. Uh, it's a very simple number. Our phone number is 281-444-5000. And our company is ValorShield.org. And you can go there and you can learn about how I originally got started with this program in the whole bit. All
1: right. And she Shuli, I know you're um I, I was thinking, um I know you're wrapping up, but also I, I like how you're flashing the websites oh. and everything. And <laughs> people <laughs> to um, to go to, ASHA, um, to ASHA's website as well, even for our public when you're needing to look for a certified, or a certified speech language pathologist. Um, I do want to, I'm currently on the board of directors for ASHA, American Speech Language Hearing Association, as well as chair of Mbasla. But I do want to encourage for, um, especially because of this month, um, when you're looking for clinicians and you want to know that they're board certified, definitely um, go to Ash's website, put their name in, and it'll let you know the good, bad, and um, the ugly. Yeah.
3: Yeah. Yeah.
2: Kia, Kia, did you see me get hung up when I was trying to sit that where I got hung up, did you see me do that?
1: No, but it's okay. I, just, I, was like to, I was trying to sit.
2: I got hung. I just I, I couldn't go to the next thing, and I said, she "Think she's gonna, she gonna say something about that?" But yeah. <laughs> That's my stuttering. That's my stutter. I'm trying to say it, but I can't get it out.
1: But the we good thing is, we're moving.
3: <laughs> yeah.
0: <laughs> Most okay. I thank you all, and again, you can find me at the Speech and Voice Care Center of Houston. I definitely love to work with Maurice. He definitely. I don't do the singing voice so much as the people with just their speaking voice challenges. I cannot help you hit the high note. But we work together to keep your speaking voice healthy. And this conversation continues in our Fear to Freedom group, which is a Facebook group geared towards helping people overcome their fears, whatever they may be, whether it's finding your purpose, walking in your purpose, or with your communication skills. It's a safe space. We give information and we get you encouraged so that you can unleash your voice, your purpose voice, that is. And just go out there and speak it in the world, however your truth leads you to do so. Thank you all for tuning in. Thank you to my guests. And until next time, go out there and just make waves in this world. Have a good night. (laughs) night, What was
2: I before you? Just another
1: guy
2: who never knew.
1: I I love it. Yes.
2: Thank you. Uh, Thank you. (laughs) Night, night.